as a large crowds traveling with him and his disciples. So Luke 14, verse 25 to 33. As we open God's word, let's pray together. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that as we hear your word today, we will find ourselves in the crowd and we will hear Jesus speaking directly to us. May your spirit do this good thing. Amen. So now large crowds were traveling with him. That's Jesus. And Jesus turned to them and said, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether or not he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. (laughs) Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot... Then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. This is the word of the Lord. So what do you think? Do you think the crowd got a little thinner when Jesus said all those things? Yeah, I think so too. What Jesus is saying when he says hate doesn't really line up with what we know about Jesus, does it? Jesus doesn't tell us to hate people. He tells us to love people. He tells us to love people as we love ourselves, to love as God loves. So this word hate and the way that Jesus uses it in this scripture passage and the way that Jesus uses it in other passages as well is actually a Jewish idiom. It's a saying, like, you know, six in the basket kind of thing. Um, It's meant... To love less. So you got to hate something enough that you love it less than you love the ultimate thing. Your first love, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, is me. You have to love everything else, even your life itself. Even your partner in marriage, even your children who you brought into this world in love with a love that is like unbreakable. You got to love less than you love me. Because if you don't love me with everything, you cannot be my disciple. We might understand that phrase, cannot be my disciple, as you are not able to be my disciple. You're not able to be my disciple if you do not love me the most of all things. 
No wonder people might have thought of Jesus as a lunatic. He's telling them to give up their connections, to give up their security networks. He's telling them to give up their family connections and the, and the, and the uh, sense of purpose and identity and all of those things that are tied up in that so that they might take what he is offering to them as their teacher and we know as their God. So yeah, I think the crowd got a little thinner as people thought about that a little bit. But think about how the disciples went through this process not once, but twice. They did this when Jesus called them at the beginning, after they had been rejected and weren't found good enough to be anybody else's rabbi, uh, be anybody else's disciple, to follow anybody else's teaching and leading. Jesus calls them, the B team, to be his disciples, and they do. They leave their family businesses. They stop fishing. They follow after Jesus. They live with him for three years, going where he goes, doing what he does, seeing how he lives, learning how to be like him. And then Jesus dies, and they go back to fishing, don't they? And then Jesus meets them again, calls to them from the beach and he sends them out again and they have to choose again to follow after him. They have another opportunity to show that they love Jesus more than anything else. That is a big, 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 big thing. Because Jesus is telling them and he's telling us and he's telling the crowds that are gathered there that like, this is not a call that's just for the people who want to devote their whole lives to ministry. This is the call for anyone who wants to follow the way of Jesus. He's telling this to the crowd that's gathered. This isn't just a special uh, added level of awesomeness in Christianity. This is the base level of Christianity. And he says that you're going to have to love good things less. You're going to have to love the gifts of God less so that you might love the God who gives those gifts more. How often do we take that step to remember from the gift to the giver of the gift instead of just staying with how much we enjoy the gift? We're going to have to give up our security and our future hopes. We're going to have to love knowing where our 401, well, our RSPs are. I don't have either, so it doesn't matter which one I try to pretend. We're going to have to give up our worries about those things. We're going to have to give up our inheritance plans we're going to have to love those things less so that we can love Jesus more. We're going to have to be willing to be rejected by people, by our families, by our friends. When Jesus says to take up the cross, we have to remember that the cross is a punishment tool. The cross is a punishment of the government. For a rule breaker. 
Someone who does things that society has said you should not do. And Jesus says, to follow after me, you need to be willing to do things that I say, even if it goes against what the world says. And you can do that. You are able to do that if you love me more than anything else. If you know my love, all things are possible. So we love good things less and we become willing to go through some very hard things to be his disciple, to follow after him, to carry that cross. Carrying the cross and following Jesus are in the present tense. They aren't a one-time decision to give my life over so that I know I'm secure in my salvation. It is this continuous walk with Jesus. So we face the hard things. We become less attached to all things, less attached to the possessions that we love, willing, again, the message we've been hearing all summer, willing to see all things be given over to him. He's not asking for them. He's asking for us to be willing. And sometimes he does ask for them. But he's asking for us to be willing, which means falling less in love with the things of this world and more in love with the God who made all things in this world. Falling less in love so that we can be more in love And trusting if that happens, the world will become an even more beautiful place. We can try to be his disciple without knowing that love. But we will not be able to be. So Jesus gives them these two images. And I got to tell you, when I was thinking about this this week, I thought, I don't know if these images still work. How many of us feel like a king or a politician has sent people into war without really truly counting the cost? The war in Afghanistan is still going on, isn't it? 18 years later? They never did find those uh, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, did they? Sometimes it feels like We want people to think a little bit more thoroughly about these things. So maybe the king one is not a good model to use, but maybe the building one is still. So how many of us drive up Northfield towards the parkway and have wondered what is going on with that building by the gas station? How many of us? Yeah, yeah. Every day I drive by and I think, whose building is that? I wonder, what is going on? Like, what went wrong? What plan was that that did not, like, I literally have all of the thoughts that Jesus says people have about that building. When I was growing up in the, in the valley of California, I lived, um, our church was kind of situated on <clears throat> towards the outskirts of town and the, developing, the, the development was starting to build out. And so this neighborhood started. And then all of a sudden, this huge house started getting built. 
Like, it took eight lots, this house. It was modeled after the Taj Mahal, this house. 85 rooms, 25,000 square feet, this house. And the guy who was building it worked in the agriculture industry in a number of different kinds of uh, jobs. But he felt like this house had been anointed by God. Like it was meant to be there. He didn't talk to any of the neighbors, though. And so all of us who are watching this building get built are watching and thinking, like, this guy, like, like this house is a monstrosity. Do you think it got done? No, it didn't. He, ho- he wanted to use the building, he said. He wanted to use the building to bless people and to, like, have a homestay for missionaries and that sort of thing. None of us ever heard any of that in the neighborhood. We heard this afterwards when he went bankrupt. He went bankrupt in part because one of his businesses had a refrigeration, one of his grape distribution centers had a refrigeration breakdown, and he lost $3 million worth of grapes. And so he went bankrupt And that house just sat there and sat there and sat there until it caught on fire. And then it was gone. Best laid plans that weren't actually plans at all. An idea that we thought had God's blessing, but really not so much. Uh, Pastor Kelly has also spent some time in Egypt, but one of the things that struck me when I was in Egypt was the way that um, there were all these rebars sticking out of the roofs of the buildings. Do you know why that is? Because if they finish the building, they have to pay the tax on it. So they leave it unfinished. It's good enough as it is. Because we don't want to have that extra cost. We love having the building, but we don't love what is necessary for actually doing it right. When I was in Iceland, the, uh, I kept thinking, like, why are there so many churches everywhere? There's all these little churches everywhere. It's not a very particularly religious country. Well, it turns out at the time that all these little churches were built, uh, Iceland was still part of Denmark. And you didn't have to pay tax on land that churches had. And so every farmer became a priest and built a little church. They're beautiful little churches. I don't really know how a man married with kids becomes a priest. But those rules didn't seem to matter as much as the rule of what I need. Right? The thing that I love the most is to not have to pay my taxes. So that we have all of these different images of buildings. And I wonder if that one, as we drive by it every day, and since it's still not finished, is a good one for us to hold on to. About how Jesus is trying to tell us to really think about what it means to be his disciple. Because everybody here has said yes to some part of that invitation from him. But to really truly see the building through is to understand all of these things that Jesus is telling us about what we have to love less. 
so that we truly are able to be his disciple. I got one more image for you. I had a lot of fun this week thinking about these. Uh, go ahead and put Mount Rushmore up. I don't know if there's a Canadian equivalent of Mount Rushmore, but most of us have seen and know of Mount Rushmore. So Mount Rushmore was purposely designed to be a tourist attraction in South Dakota because they wanted to increase revenue for the state. Uh, and so, you know, it's pretty cool. It's big. It's a lot of work. It took many, many years. Uh, the plan was followed for the most part. But did you know that Mount Rushmore was supposed to be more than that? So go ahead and go to the next one and then turn off all the lights, Joan, so we can try to get a better view of it. You see the, uh, we're going to get the lights, don't worry. That's, that's even right there, that's better. So do you see how George Washington's supposed to have like a whole body? Like they're all supposed to have whole like torsos. But the government just decided, I think it was in 1941, that it was done. It was done. Uh, maybe it had become too costly. Maybe it was taking too much time. The original designer of it was dead at that point. So there wasn't necessarily somebody who was saying, yeah, we got to have more. That, and it had, it had enough to serve its purpose. They just stopped and called it good. So if that building up the street doesn't serve enough of a picture for you of what our life with Christ can look like, let this one. How often does the church encourage us and we choose to just stop and call it good on what we are with Christ? We know our salvation's secure. We know that, you know, we've learned some good lessons. We've changed some of our habits. We've, we've become a better person in this area or that area. That's good enough. I'm happy with that spiritual development and progress. Jesus is saying, yeah, think about that some more. Because otherwise you are truly not able to be my disciple. Because if you knew my love, then you would trust me to keep going with my plan for you. If you knew my love, then you would trust me that all of the things, the plans, the dreams that I give you are truly amazing available to you will be much more spectacular and much more useful to the community around you than that half-finished building or that beautiful, awesome thing that could have been even more awe-inspiring. If you really, truly knew my love, then you would be willing to try to love everything else a little less. Amen.
So God, we thank you for being the God who does not leave us, but who continuously invites us. Who loves us just the way that we are, but loves us so much that you do not want us to stay and be who we are. The God who gives us himself through the Holy Spirit. Who will do and lead us through all of the hard things. The transforming things. We house, we, wrote, we know the fullness of God, and so we pray, Jesus, that we will be beautiful homes for you, the beautiful one. We pray that our lives will be beautiful. That we will know the good and beautiful God that you are, the God of love whom we can trust. And so as we seek to break our attachments to things that we love more than you, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come alongside of us and fill us with the presence of Jesus so that we might know with confidence your love. You make beautiful things out of us. And so we do continue through our singing to offer our lives, our whole selves, to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're my life.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. So just a reminder, if you're um, wanting to spend time in prayer, there will be people at the front here who will pray with you. Uh, also, if you are going to be hosting or facilitating or leading a digging group, please come to the front. And if you know that you're in a group and you don't see the person who's like hosting that group or leading that group, also come forward so we can get that information. Uh, there will be coffee served. Uh, give the kids a little while longer before you go pick them up downstairs. If they're uh, not in Tiny Treasures or Little Wonders, those can be picked up immediately. And the last thing I want to say about love is love. When we love somebody, it makes us do things that we don't always like doing for the person we love, right? I'm not married, but I do know that. <laughs> so what does it mean to love Jesus enough that you will do stuff that you don't necessarily like because you love Jesus the most? And the fruit of the Spirit will show up in your life if you do.
Be free.